Hello and welcome. It is episode 16 of the Stick to Syracuse podcast. My name is Brent Dax. We thank you so much for being here today. A few things lined up for you today. One is my conversation with Lauren Coach, who is the president of The Most in downtown Syracuse. While it is a building and it is a museum, The Most is so much more, as Lauren will tell us. Did you have a great Memorial Day weekend? By the way, we're thinking of those that pay the ultimate price in service to this country. Is that the official start of summer for you? Is it the taste of Syracuse? Whatever it is, the summer season, believe it or not, has arrived in central New York. We'll discuss what we love about summer in Syracuse. On the sound scene, Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions catches up with Dave Forsina, the godfather of local music. Dave is going to tell us about an exciting new adventure he's about to go on as the rebel leaves the radio dial, but is certainly not going away. Hey, how'd you find us today on the Stick to Syracuse podcast? Did you follow the link through on Syracuse.com or on social media? Both great ways to listen to this show. But I would remind you, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Hit that subscribe button on any of those services, and the new version of the Stick to Syracuse podcast will show up wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stick to Syracuse comes out every Monday. Well, Just Joe, what do you say we get the party started here? Gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brent X. The most the Museum of Science and Technology rests in the Armory. The reason we call it Armory Square, right in the heart of downtown Syracuse. But the most is more than a building and more than a museum, as Lauren Cochin, the president of The Most, tells us here on Stick to Syracuse. Yeah, we're a lot more than just that. So we, um, we're a science museum, as you said, so lots of fun, interactive things to do. Um, we're unique in that we, are, we have the only domed, public domed IMAX in the region. So that's a nice, unique little offering. Same thing with the planetarium. But a couple other things that we that we do that you don't necessarily think about as a visitor is we are a STEM learning center. We are a chartered New York State educational center. And so what that means is um, we do things beyond just the fun and interactive exhibits. We have a lot of STEM learning programs, um, things like uh, a science learning partnership with the Syracuse City School District. So we have 6,000 of their students coming all year long. And so it's not just one field trip. Nope. They're it's, coming. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They come in. It's a process. It's, yep. Yeah. It is. It is. So they do the traditional field trip piece, which is great, and that's fun, and, and all the kids love that. But they're also, when they're here, they're doing workshops that tie into their curriculum. So every so we have four grade levels that come through, and everyone has a different focus. My favorite is the eighth graders, just because I've done their workshop, which is extracting DNA from fruit. Oh, and that's how part cool of what, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So that because that's part of what they're learning in the classroom. So when they come here, they're getting the hands-on experience that they can't necessarily get in the classroom. 
And of course, as we know, that's how you learn best. So we, so, so being an educational institution is almost like sort of a well-kept secret about the museum. And that partnership is just one example. Um, we have special programs for, for kids with special needs and, and all kinds of really great stuff, um, sort of quote-unquote behind the scenes. And then, of course, we are, um, we are the only uh, occupant of this massive armory. <laughs> Um, right in the heart of, you know, Armory Square, sort of the heart of downtown, and we're the Armory of Armory Square, so I kind of think of us as sort of the pulse of downtown. Uh, as you said, people walk by this building every day, and actually what's really interesting is um, we're not even using all of the space. This building is huge. It takes up an entire, you know, city block, and um, the side of the building that where the lawn is on the Jefferson Street side, we have uh, four floors that are not even occupied. Wow. So there's huge potential here for this armory building to be more than just the home of the most. And so that's actually one of the one of the things we'll be working on in the next few years is um, not only getting the building in in tip sh- tip top shape. It's 110 years old. <laughs> Needs a lot of work. <laughs> Right, it is. It is incredible, yeah. and um, and it's just one of those things. Some of some of the issues with the building is just because it's 110 years old, and um, some of it is just repairs that are long overdue. Um, I'm happy to say those repairs will actually start this spring and summer, roof repairs and things like that. Um, but we're committed moving forward to really getting the building in in better shape, in part because. We want to have some. We want to have some people living with us here. So, um, uh, if we can get the building sort of in better shape, that side of the building would be um, possibly open for tenants, possibly open for the most to expand into. Um, so, lots of opportunity here too that we're just sort of scratching the surface of. There's a lot of dreaming going on around there. Is about what you could do to fill yeah. that space, and it's yep. exciting and it's amazing when you think about the history of this building. I don't think some people realize this is literally the armory in Armory exactly. Square. Like you yep. just get used to saying things, right? It's right. like saying the carrier dome. Get, and you yep. forget sometimes that it's actual business. That's carrier air conditioning. Yeah, it just right. becomes a brand. But. Yep. This is the actual armory and the history of what happened in here. I remember I came here yep. when Sean Kirst did a talk for his book. Oh, and I was right. just talking with Sean afterwards. And he told me about there was a huge brawl at an NBA game that took place yes. in this building. Yes. And I'm like, what? Yep. You know, so there's like a thousand stories about that, things that took place in this yeah, building. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the NBA team that played here, the, you know, the, um, the circus used to, when the circus came to town, they came through here. And of course, as you said, this was the armory. For the military for training and um and so in fact what's re- actually is really cool about this building is there are still some pieces of the building where you can see that it was an armory locker rooms stalls bathrooms um some of the beautiful fireplaces we have um a couple of our offices actually have these gun racks that we use as we use as bookshelves now and cabinets made by stickley i mean it's there's some fascinating history here and actually every so often we will do one of those sort of historic building tours for people um it's just part of not necessarily anything to do with science but just for fun um we even have you'll see them in the outside um in the lawn and there's a couple inside we have horse tieouts that are still here so it's yeah, it's hey, the building in, in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. We got them out there for you. <laughs> exactly. Horse parking. We should actually promote that. So <laughs> parking can be tough downtown. If you got a True. horse, you got bring your horse instead. You got... <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, we live in a digital era, right? Right. Right. And I have to just 
slap the phone out of my kid's hand sometimes. Yep. Like, go, yep. and I sound like, I have come full circle, I am my mother. Go outside, you <laughs> exactly. know, do something productive. But you got to yeah. fight that, right? Yeah. But yep. how if, I know this is a broad umbrella to put everybody under right. here, but how do kids want to learn right, right. in a digital era? Because I think yep. when they come here and they experience this place, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they yep. realize there's more beyond right. that, that little screen that's exactly. in front of your hand. Well, we always laugh here at the most, our staff, because, um, you know, we have 30, 5,000 square feet of exhibits, and we're called the Museum of Science and Technology. But we always talk about how science is science, right? So we could have an exhibit, and we do have some where where the technology um, is really an important piece of the exhibit. Um, and then um, and then we have things like our our three four hundred dollars worth of foam blocks. That one of our most popular <laughs> exhibits. So we always joke that you know. Science is always going to be science, and learning is always going to be learning. And you don't necessarily have to have in the museum the most latest and greatest technology. And especially at a place like ours, we're just a small little shop here. We can't always afford financially to keep up with the latest technology. But if the science is stays the same, you know, um, thousands of year old science is still relevant today. Um, so we we try to keep that in mind as we try to be a science and technology center that maybe the technology piece isn't always as critical um, as long as the kids are learning and they're learning best when they're doing right so certainly there's a lot to be said for technology for making our lives easier um, for for helping kids learn certainly Um, I don't want to diminish that but um, but it isn't always the optimal or the ideal. And, um, and we do talk about that we, we, in terms of when parents are visiting. Um, we encourage people to put their cell phones away and just sort of enjoy the, enjoy the moment, enjoy the experience. Look, here's the thing. No matter how much digital becomes popular, it's still really cool to sit on a dinosaur. Right. Okay. Exactly. I don't care exactly. how old you are or yep. what's on your phone. Yep. And that's something that's new right. here at the most. Nice exactly. transition into the new Perfect exhibit segue. here. Tell us all exactly. about it. Dinosaurs are always cool no matter what. It's very true. Dinosaurs are the best. And this is, yeah, this is probably the most exciting thing that's happened since I've been here in the last few years. And that is uh, come July, we will have a permanent dinosaur exhibit here at the museum. Awesome. So um, we and we've done. We're it's funny we're we're known for dinosaurs, but we don't have dinosaurs. Every few years we've brought in a traveling exhibit. Well, every year we bring in a traveling exhibit, but every three years it's dinosaurs, and it's always our most popular exhibit. So when they left last January, I said, "Why don't we have these all the time?" <laughs> because our I love them. Our staff loves them. Our visitors love them. Our members love them. The community loves them. Okay, great. So we um, so we've worked really hard over the last few months to find a collection that we could purchase that made sense for this for the museum that made sense for our community that we could afford to host and we found one so the dinosaurs that were here last fall are coming back this summer to stay which is it's so exciting i mean dinosaurs are fascinating and not just for kids for adults too on so many levels um you know their sheer size and um, the fact that they went extinct, this this amazing, um, these amazing creatures that almost don't seem real, right? That were real, and um, and there's obviously so much science behind it, and there's so many science disciplines too that we can touch upon. Um, I remember one of our um, 
one of our members was talking about how, you know, the water we're, we're drinking, the dinosaurs drank. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's an interesting little element that we can add. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that goes along with it that touches on different STEM topics besides just these really cool big creatures. I know a lot of people ask you about your dad. Yeah. your dad was yep. in, a, in a county leadership role, for those that don't know. Right. Your, your, your dad was the county executive here at Onondaga County. I want to ask you what leadership you learned from your mother. Because oh, you're a teacher for, exactly. what was it, 40 plus years? Yeah, yeah, about 40 years at, at um, in the city schools at Henniger for most of that. God bless that one. Yeah, exactly. What did you learn leadership from your mother? Oh, my God. Well, you know what's funny? I learned actually primarily from her because she was my mom, right? And um, um, I learned a lot about leadership primarily about the importance of um, really treating people with respect. I think that that was the probably, and compassion. I think that's the most important thing. I think that, um, and, the, I th- and I have to say, I think it's in part because she's a woman. I think women treat leadership a little bit differently than men. Um, and that's not a bad thing whatsoever. Um, I think women are a bit more naturally nurturing. Um, I think we understand that our personal and professional lives really are one. So um, really just treating people with the utmost respect and dignity, treating people how you want to be treated, and just doing everything with integrity. Um, My mom was one of those people who did everything and made it look easy, right? So... um, you know, but but it was I think because she recognized the importance of that balance. When you're at work, you're still a mom, you know, and when you're at home, you're still a leader in your community, and um, and that's how I try to be too. I don't I don't look at myself as you know Lauren, the president of the most when I'm here, um, or when I go home, I'm just it all blends, you know. Um, I'm I'm the single mom with two kids when I'm here, and that infiltrates how I make decisions and how I interact with people, and I and I believe that is primarily. Um, because of my mom. Um, she And actually, it's funny, even though I was a PR, communications marketing person, wanted to get into sports marketing, my first job was at the Crunch, um, my appreciation for science is really also in part because of my mother. Um, she made me understand that um, what we call here at the most, we call citizen science, is really important. Just You don't have to be a scientist to appreciate how important science and science education is for our lives every day and that it's all around us. You brought up sports marketing. So you worked at the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? I did. I worked in, I worked for the Penguins, okay. but I worked in for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. So I started right when Mario Lemieux bought the team. Oh, geez. Signed my yeah. first paycheck, which my dad still has. <laughs> that's, that's mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which my dad You're doing still that has. now, too, as a parent, though. You're oh, for sure. Things, yeah. Yep, right, right. Yeah, that was very cool for my yeah. father. Um but yeah, I worked for the Pe- the Crunch and then the Penguins, um, and it's funny. As much as I loved it, I just knew it wasn't something I wanted to do forever. It was just tons of fun. Um, but sports is a tough, tough industry. You don't really realize that. All you see is the fun stuff until you're in it. Um, but it's 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 hard. It's it's long hours. It's um, it's cutthroat. And um, and when I came back to Syracuse to get my master's is when I sort of fell into this nonprofit world just just by accident. Um, I took a job at Syracuse Stage, and I was there for about 11 years. And what I liked about it, it was was still sort of sport. It was entertainment. So it wasn't really sports, but it still touched on that entertainment piece that I really enjoy doing. And the thing is about sports, 
because it's fun and because everybody wants those jobs you don't they don't they don't have to pay you really handsomely exactly you know right. so it's yeah. it's a it's a grind it's a grind and i just knew that in the long term i had maybe a few years in me before i could you know cuz i wanted everything else you know you're in your 20s and i wanted to um, i wanted to find my prince charming and i wanted and i knew that in that role it wasn't none of that other stuff outside of work was going to happen you know i was really into running and and hiking and and i'm a sort of a nature girl and that was all taking a back seat so um, even though i still loved it i knew it was a it was finite you know there was going to be a, a short window for me so um, I just started studying for GREs, knowing at some point I was going to go back to grad school, and that's exactly what I did. So a couple years later, came back um, for my master's and um, um, met my, the, my husband at the time, and he stayed for his Ph.D., at SU when we finished our our master's program and in fact actually I was looking I was still looking at a sports job but, but now I had the master's I was looking for maybe a, a, a job that was less of a grind and actually I I was offered a paid internship at the NHL league offices wow. and then and then and so talking about personal life so then September 11th happened and when it first happened and I'm about to go there um, um, for my final interview and to sort of you know make the decision not no it was also fresh right 9-11 happened and everybody nobody you know nobody knew what, what was happening was right be, yeah. and I was like you know what I don't know that I want to go to New York I think I want to be close to home I think I want to stay near my parents I knew Syracuse was a great place to to live um, to raise a family I knew for sure I wanted kids so I I declined that offer stayed with my husband at the time and sort of that's where I fell into this job at Syracuse stage they were looking for a marketing person with a little entertainment experience and um, so I landed there not really even knowing in my head what it that it was a nonprofit, what working in a nonprofit meant. I just knew it was like a cool job that I could do while while um, while Ulf went to school, and so um, and that sort of t- really became the start of my nonprofit career. And um, I, like I said, I did that for eleven years. I did marketing. I started to learn about fundraising. Turned out, I loved fundraising which is odd but you it's really got to love that yeah exactly it, you know because you meet great people and um, you you find what people are interested in and you know if you're sharing that same passion for something it, it's kind of easy so so I so I found that I liked it and I was good at it um, and then um, and so the Syracuse stage is really sort of where my career began and talk about another another great female leader my my supervisor there um, her name is Barbara Beckos and um, I learned everything from her, and um, and then life happened. I had two kids there, um, got married there, uh, and then and actually got separated there. And so I I needed to move along at that time. I loved I loved the theater, um, but I just I just needed a job that paid more. And one of um, one of our funders actually one of our donors was like, "There's this job at Arc. You'd be great." I knew nothing about that world of of human services and support for people with developmental disabilities. I went there and I interviewed there and I'm like, oh my God, I have to have this job. I love this place. So I worked there for four years and then I was recruited to come to the most. So it's been about 20 years in nonprofit at this point and um, I can't see myself doing anything else. I love it. I love um, I love being, it. to me, it's like the best of both worlds. I'm getting paid to, to do something that helps our entire community. I mean, what's better? To me, there's nothing better than that. All right, so you're a hockey fan. This is my final question. It's my okay. one-timer. You okay. ready? All right. What makes Syracuse Syracuse? 
Oh my God! Every there's so much that makes Syracuse Syracuse. Um, um, certainly, uh, there's a lot of iconic things about this town that make it so special. I will say the people here are unbelievable. We have this really, and I can say this in part because of my nonprofit experience. We have the most generous community, most generous, not just financially, but um, but in every way. I mean, as you know, I am all over social media, and I've never, anytime I've needed something, I've been able to find it through a, just a great network of people. But we have all these other iconic things that make Syracuse so special, and actually sports comes to mind. Um, the Crunch in particular, to me, um, having these, these pro sports teams, plus this incredible, um, these incredible college athletics, and not just SU. Lemoyne has great sports, and OCC has great sports. But um, um, I think I think the higher ed community sort of makes us special. Um, certainly, hey, I'm I'm one of those believers, and I guess it's because I live here. But the the weather makes us special. You got to. I always tell my kids, you have to play winter sports. So now I have a hockey player and I have a cross country skier. Um, you know, we embrace the winter, um, and I just think this place is is beautiful. I really do. Um, Central New York is a, just a gorgeous Four Seasons, great place to raise a family. Ready or not, it's time for the summer season in central New York. But what makes it summer here? You know it's summer when they're rocking at Weedsport. But how do we know now? I don't know, it it seems like one day it's like 90 degrees out and it just kind of stays that way for like a month and a half. Maybe it's the taste of Syracuse that marks the start of summer for you. It certainly is the food that marks the summertime. Hoffman hot dogs, burgers, salt potatoes, pasta salad, ice cream stands, fresh lemonade, going to the market for fresh vegetables, the farmer's markets that pop up all over central New York. Speaking of hitting that grill, Matt Beach from the Allen Angus Pub, who makes the best burger in New York State. And that's not just my opinion. They've won plenty of contests for this tells you what not to do when making that burger this summer. And the thing, the, the most crucial mistake I think a lot of people make in grilling is they play with the burger. They flip it eight, nine, ten times. I'm actually just going to flip it once. That's it. It's always nice to know someone who's got a camp so you can go hang out at the lake or has a pool so you can hang out there. You can go to Green Lakes or Oneida Shores or Fairhaven or any of those other great little beach spots on the lake watching fireworks, going to the Sterling Renaissance Festival. There still are a couple drive-in movies around, concerts at the Lakeview Amphitheater, a festival every weekend in downtown Syracuse. Summer in Syracuse also means the return of the orange cones. What's that old joke? There's two seasons in Syracuse, construction and basketball. Summer in Syracuse can mean leaving it behind. It's time to go on vacation and see what else is out there in the world. Summer's always a great time to head over to the ballpark, where this year, remember, it's the Mets, not the Chiefs. But you and I both know someone will say to you, Hey, you want to go to a Sky Chiefs game? No matter what you do and how you do it, enjoy the summer, Syracuse, because before you know it, it'll be time to go to the Great New York State Fair, and you'll say to yourself, Where did the summer go?
105.9 The Rebel and Queen, and you're my best friend, and my new best friend is here in the studio. Dave Frasina is a name that radio listeners in central New York certainly know. Dave got in on the ground floor of 95X in 1978, working every shift in the book, working his way up to program and music director. He spent eight years at TK99 and is now doing Afternoon Drive at 105.9 The Rebel, weekdays from 2 to 6. Dave continues to host Soundcheck, a local show that he started in 1979 and has added Soulshine, a show that airs Sundays from 10 to 2, a free-form radio experience that is a special blend of hand-picked music. And as Dave tells Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions, on the sound scene, things are about to change for the Rebel. They may be leaving the radio dial, but they're not going anywhere. I kind of fell into it. Um, I grew up listening to radio in Long Island, in New York City, uh, and uh, Long Island and uh, Southern Connecticut radio stations. But, you know, that to me was just because I loved music. I got up to Cortland State to be a phys ed major and a coach, graduated as one. But along the way, I got caught up in college radio, and it kind of, uh, it just sparked my interest. I, even, even when I graduated, I didn't think it was going to be a career. Interesting. Um, so then you were you worked your way up. You worked at several different radio stations, DJing, program director. When did you decide that you really wanted to do local music? That you wanted to shine a spotlight on it? Actually, it was pretty close to the beginning. I started out at ninety five X when it signed on in seventy eight and uh, doing part time. And so um, about a year into it. I, need, I wanted to get more hours than I was getting. And so I came up with an idea of doing an hour-long music show, a local music show, because after moving up here in 78, I, I'd go out to bars to, to see bands and get to know the bands and figured let's, nobody's putting these bands on the air. And I work at a radio station, so it seemed like a pretty simple uh, combination. And so we started uh, Soundcheck, the local show, in uh, December of 79. And back then, 95X was playing some local bands in regular rotation, bands like Todd Hoban and uh, Flash Cubes and 805, uh, the King Snakes, the Works. And so it, it was just kind of a natural, it was part of the, the music scene was, you know, being regional and, and representing the music that was being made around, uh, around the area. So what do you see as the difference between Soundcheck and Soulshine? They are both local, they're both local bands local well, music with a little bit of, of uh, soul shine has got a little bit of national yeah soul shine's a little it's a whole different thing um sound check is is a whole hour of just local bands interviews live performances soul shine on sundays from 10 to 2 10 a.m to 2 p.m is really what old school radio is like it's uh it's there's no boundaries to the the musical styles um, it's a mix of old and new music it's new releases from classic artists new releases from uh, new bands that are that are compatible with the music that people grew up listening to. It's just like an old FM radio station from the 70s where the DJ gets to pick and play, put together themes. It's a whole different kind of radio. It's just uh, one song at a time, freeform. And, and, and the music tends to fit a little bit more into a Sunday brunch time. So it's, it's not real crunchy or, or rocking too hard, you know. You've been on the Rebel Radio for a couple of years now. Eight. 105.9 The Rebel. Eight. Really? Yeah. It's been eight years. Almost. We started in 2012. Holy cow. Well, no, like 20, yeah, it'll be seven years. Uh, it was seven years in February. So, oh my anyway. gosh. So, 
tell everyone how it's changing. We belong to Cumulus Radio. Cumulus Radio owns numerous, it's one of the, the second largest radio group in the, in the country. Uh, the woman that inherited the job as CEO a few years ago inherited a, a great deal of debt from the previous people that owned it. And so they've been looking to find ways to pay it down. Um, and, and one of the ways is by selling off some major market stations. And in the last uh, group of stations they sold off, including New York, Washington, Atlanta, Savannah, San Jose, well, Syri- our station, just the one station in the cluster in Syracuse, was sold off as well. And so the company ended up making an, uh, like $100 million off of it. Um, the end result for us personally is that we lost our position on the dial. A company bought 105.9, um, but they didn't buy anything else. They didn't buy the intellectual property, the website, any part of what we had built up as the Rebel Radio brand. And so um, <clears throat> between myself and the market manager and engineer, we were talking about it when it happened. And we're, once we realized, once the dust had settled, what was going on, we said, maybe this is something we could continue uh, through HD radio. And from that, it was like, well, not everybody uses HD radio. What about keeping the stream alive? And because so many people mm-hmm. access music now in, in devices other than radio, whether it's radio or not. And uh, so they put together a uh, proposal and sent it up the chain of command to Cumulus. And Cumulus said, look, if you've got somebody that wants to run this thing, sure, let's, let's give it a shot. And it's kind of the momentum is continuing to build for it. The, uh, the last day of our terrestrial radio is the 31st. And at 6 o'clock, we become a full-time online streaming station. Do you have any projects that you have always wanted to get to and just couldn't need an like, assistant like a book do you need an assistant <laughs> no I, I'm always I always tell you I, I'm, I'm waiting for the book because you have years and years and years well, of have to very interesting a, stories I may have to change a lot of names in the process <laughs> I'm afraid of that um, uh, well no what I'm doing what I'm going to be doing is it is um, going part-time because I'm just going to be programming the station every day but I'll only be on live on Sundays to do soul shine and sound check so um, it, it, it brings a career back to being more of a, a hobby that I get paid for. And instead of working 50 hours a week, I work 20 hours a week. So I haven't looked into the other possibilities yet. There's a few things I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, just to, you know, um, make some money to, to pay some bills. But otherwise, um, I, I really haven't had time to think about it. I haven't had two weeks off in 40 years. Wow. So in a row, you know, yeah. so... So maybe I'm, just get off my back. I want to relax. Yeah, until until <laughs> August, I, I'm I'm doing okay. You know, I'll take the summer off. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for all you do for the local music scene and the music scene. Period. Um, you're you're wonderful, and we're all grateful for you and hopeful um, for this next endeavor for the Rebel. Well, thanks. I mean, like I said, I think that uh, the, the biggest hurdle that we have right now is, is um, letting people know where they can find us. Great. And, you know, between smartphones, we've got an app. If you go into your app store and type in The Rebel Rocks, you'll get the app. It's a free app that can then connect to Bluetooth speakers in your car or at home. There's smart TVs that you just download the same app, The Rebel Rocks. You can listen to it. Um, there's... Uh, Amazon Echo and Dot, you just tell Alexa you want to listen to the Rebel Rocks and you'll dial in. I did it was when I was in Florida. I said, you know, Alexa, play the Rebel Rocks and it pops right on. It's so, I mean, Very the cool. fact is, is there's more places than ever to hear the radio station. So we're just going to move it into that direction and try and, try and surf the current uh, technology as best we can. 
And now, sounds from our next episode. Dusty Pascal, a 35-year-old Skinny Atlas resident, has a refreshingly old soul, and he expresses himself lyrically like a modern version of acoustic icon John Prine. Waking in the morning, Lord, and pacing the cage Like a love letter never getting down on a page Plus, the Taste of Syracuse is back. What's new this year? Will an old favorite return? That's next time on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. We thank you for listening and remind you that you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we'll see you at Uncle Sam's. Loving you is the same damn thing. Loving you is the same.